Desert rock is a subgenre of rock known for its freeform and trance-like grooves made popular by notable bands like Queen of the Stone Age and Caius. How do subgenres get created? What inspires a style? We'll learn in a minute because our guest this week is Mario Lolly. He's one of the founders of this popular genre of alternative rock. And he joins us to talk about how it came to be. It's a melding of classic rock and the skater punk lifestyle of the Southern California desert. Mario explains how the simple love of music and passion created and built this genre on this episode of Big Break. I was born in Denver, Colorado. My parents, both opera singers. My dad had a singing restaurant, I'll call it, for about 65 years. And the first location was in Aspen, Colorado, and then he opened one in Denver. The restaurants featured live music nightly. We had a grand piano. They had a grand piano and a, and a small stage and a group of singers. My parents were both Classically trained opera singers toured with opera companies when they were younger. My dad, uh, after doing that uh, into his mid-20s, took an opportunity to take a restaurant space in one of the old hotels in Aspen and kind of set in motion a, a life of being in and around music every day. So my parents met, they're both, you know, both singers. My mom worked for my dad for years. Uh, she was a soprano. When I was a baby, they would actually like, you know, some, some nights that they couldn't get a babysitter, I'd actually be like in a baby basket underneath the piano <laughs> and always grew up with music in the house. A lot different than the music that ended up inspiring me. I never took piano lessons. I took a couple guitar lessons as a kid, but my brother and sister turned me on to classic rock and roll very young. My first records were uh, the Hendrix records, Mountain, Deep Purple, Blue Cheer, uh, The Ventures, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and a weird mix of classic rock and surf music. And what was pivotal for me, I I really gravitated towards music. I I became... uh, a, co- a collector of vinyl at a young age, buying records. You know, my parents were opera singers, so it wasn't like I had my dad handing me an electric guitar or anything like that. So you know, I kind of found that path on my own. I started messing around with the guitar. My sister gave me an electric guitar. It was probably about 10 or 11. And I plucked around on it and messed around on it. What was pivotal was... I discovered through my network of friends, I got very into skateboarding as a kid as well. And through skateboarding, I discovered punk rock. And at that point, the kind of ethic I learned in skateboarding, which was you had to do stuff yourself back then. You had to build a ramp. You had to find a pool, bail the pool. You had to go out in the streets and find places to skateboard. These skate parks weren't everywhere like they are now. So there was a lot of do-it-yourself work ethic put into the enjoyment of it. It was part of the enjoyment. It was part of the expression of it. When I learned about punk rock and heard it and saw it and kind of wrapped my head around what it was about, the two things came together. And where I lived was such a retirement community at the time. I live in Palm Springs, in the Palm Springs area in the Coachella Valley. So there was really nothing for kids to do. There wasn't a lot of stuff happening other than your typical, oh, the, the sports program at school or a bowling alley, or for me, it was skateboarding and then music. But the thing about punk rock is that it showed me right away that all I got to do is make an effort to be part of this. And I could find a place to express myself. I could enjoy this community of people that are expressing themselves. 
And really, you know, contrary to what we're kind of talking about here, was that the beauty of it was really that there wasn't a career path. There wasn't a goal. There wasn't like some, well, I want to make money at it or be successful at it or what the point of it that was inspiring to me is was that you just you do it and there there's enjoyment and reward in the act of doing it and it's it's so dynamic in the return that it has i mean discovering expression as any young artist does you know that alone is so motivating i i would say to tie my history of getting into music with why I'm on this podcast today. I always and still do to this day, although, you know, my priorities are a little bit different because I'm in my mid-50s now and I have a life to pay for. As a kid getting into punk rock, discovering expression, discovering the rewarding aspects of music and sharing that experience with people, I was in a band uh, at 14 years old, still friends to this day with the guys, actually play with one of them still to this day. The motivating factor was purely uh, enrichment, enjoyment, expression. And that created a work ethic in me that not only expanded my boundaries beyond being a musician, but into promoting events, setting up concerts, connecting with artists, graphic artists, illustrators, a whole whole world of creative people came together in that thing. And and, and it was exciting and beautiful. and, And it was like, this is my tribe, you know? I continued playing music. I never stopped from 14 to now I'm 54 years old. And, and, I, and I did it with passion, and there was never a thought of a career or I need to do this because that's what you do to, to make a step towards that. You know? and, and when the band started to, when we actually learned how to reach out for a, a show to someone else, we didn't even know how to do that because we had been setting up everything ourselves. I had a generator. And where we live is a lot of open space, you know. And like all bands, you have the problems of the police coming with the noise or bugging the neighbors or the or bugging your parents or whatever. So we learned very quickly because there was no venues here in the Coachella Valley back then that were friendly to 15-year-olds in, <laughs> in, in punk rock bands. We had to find our own place. So all that stuff we learned as skateboarders creating our space to do our thing on our time with our rules. We took that right to music and we had the same exact work ethic, the same exact skill set. Find a spot, get everybody there and have a great time. Whether it was skating or whether it was playing music, it, it was the same it was the same idea. So we take that generator out into the middle of the desert, you know, it's something that's accessible. We'd follow a dirt road off the I-10 freeway, and if it ended up in a groovy canyon, that's where we'd set up. And we'd throw a rug on the floor and throw our little PA up on sticks. And uh, and we did that for, huh. I, I probably did that for 15 years off and on, and it grew and grew and it grew. In the meantime, we, we were going to see gigs with punk rock bands, and we wanted to be part of that scene in Los Angeles and Orange County and San Francisco. So we made our efforts. We, we got out and we met people. And we, we, you know, in the punk scene, there was a lot of networking with bands. Like you'd meet a band from L.A. and you go, hey, man, I'll set you guys up down at the nudist colony out in the middle of the desert. We had a nudist colony. Here, that's a famous skate spot. They had a beautiful pool, and it's literally in the middle of the desert. This pool is just sitting there, up against the foothills here, and um, that's a place we did a lot of concerts. And we met a lot of other musicians that were in in the punk scene. And so we started networking. Finally, when I graduated high school, we actually I, I got the band together, and I convinced them to move with me 
to Los Angeles. I had had enough of living here in this boring desert, and, and I, I lost sight of the beauty of it. You know, I, I was I just wanted to be where I could play music and buy a record and go see a fucking movie. You know. So we got up to Culver City. I found us an apartment, and mm-hmm. me and Scott Reeder, who is uh, also a musician that found through, he, he was one of my original bandmates, and also he found it through this kind of process of passionately following your art and your, and your love, found, you know, success eventually in music. He played with band called Caius that is pivotal in my story of why I have any kind of music career today where we all moved to LA and and we dove in and tried, you know, we, we got Hmm. connected with some guys uh, that have had a record label called SST records. And this record label was a big deal to us because we'd grown up listening to all the bands on the label were huge influences, bands like black flag and Sonic youth the Bad Brains, Soundgarden, Saccharine Trust, uh, the Minutemen, the Meat Puppets. These, all these bands were on this label. And for us to be Husker Du, I mean, it goes on, the list goes on and on. The most influential record label uh, in my life. I mean, it kind of, they, they kind of were the model of, of how to, Put your art first and your passion first, and the rest will follow if it's meant to be. You know, that's you know I learned a lot of that from that from them. We met these guys, we got some gigs, we started playing a few things here and there. Some things that were a big deal to us. We we're playing with our you know influences, our heroes, the guys that we really looked up to and were inspired by. So it was exciting, but. We were operating differently. We learned different rules. Our rules were there were no rules. There were no auditions. There were no demo tapes to the booker at the Whiskey A Go Go to like get, you know, is he like it or not? Do we have fans or not? The way we did things in the desert is it is if we liked the music, we gave it a, a place to be played if people were going to show up or not, there was going to be money made or all that. We did stuff purely to see something happen and and to engage with people in a creative, fun, energetic way. And Los Angeles, of all cities, the club scene, the, the mechanics of it, the rules, the systems, the hierarchy, the book, it was very discouraging to these naive artists, guys that are hmm. not even thinking about money or career steps or just want to create and do now. Now, we don't, we don't want to wait. We don't want to ask your permission. We just want this to happen. So it was, it was weird. It was like I had to learn to play that game a bit and the band was quite good you know people were telling us Mm -hmm. these guys from ssd wanted us to record for their label we actually did we played alongside of guys that you know were were making their way these were national tour international touring bands but we just couldn't seem to uh to adjust our attitude towards that hungry mentality we just didn't want to play the game, you know. Now, now of course, after I, I didn't play the game and we just continued to do things our way, the way we wanted to do it, the way that inspired us, eventually what happened was years passed. And then those guys that we were begging to play and submitting demos and doing all the legwork that it takes just to get a show in some dingy rock and roll bar in Hollywood or in LA somewhere or in Orange County. Those guys were calling us because they, they wanted us to perform at their club or bands were asking us to go on tour or um, promoters in Europe were asking if we were available to come and play a festival or to play a string of club dates. It didn't seem like work to us what we were doing. It seemed like we it was just our way, like the way we 
knew how to keep playing music, keep creative, keep the mm -hmm. focus on creating and that feeling rather than the rewards of I got a gig opening for this band at the music machine or at the Whiskey Go Go or at the whatever whatever club pick 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 one. And and we did it. Now we're on to the next trying to pry the doors open on some place and get up in front of people. It was a lesson uh, about this business. And quite frankly, I, you know, the lesson was for me is that I don't think that's the way it should be. And I think that it's not a, probably a successful mindset because most of the guys I know that run venues with this mentality that I have, they don't last very long. I ran, I've owned two nightclubs in my story. I went, graduated from the generator parties to actually wanting to have a proper nightclub because of all the, the life choices that I was making at the time. I needed to have steady income and I needed to have a, a real job. And, and I thought, you know, I'm good at this. Uh, I've learned a lot on my own in, in doing music and, and promoting events, uh, underground punk rock events uh, as they were, but they were still events where people had to show up, they paid a cover charge and they got some entertainment and the show had to go on. So one was at the nudist colony uh, a month and the other one was uh, all the way across uh, town kind of over by where they have Coachella now. We had a ranch over there. We do stuff. We had about 10 spots around here. But I ended up after, in, in, in 1993, I did a huge generator party out near Coachella. And I got arrested. Uh, there was some violence that broke out. There was probably about 2,000 people there. And... Um, which was quite a feat because this is kind of before social media. This is before there was, you know, there was your basic internet was happening, but people weren't, you know, checking their email every day. Mm -hmm. And when I opened the club, I did my booking with a calendar and a telephone, and I had a stack of cassette tapes in front of me. So it was quite a different world back then, music, the music industry. But uh, I, you know, I ended up with the club. And uh, I tried to run it my way, creativity first, giving local musicians a stage to express themselves. And I quickly found that when you have bills to pay, rent to pay, employees to pay, that giving the local musician who's been playing music for six months in his garage, giving him a stage that he gets excited about and all his bandmates and his family comes out and everybody's supportive. and. It's putting a fire under his ass to be creative and continue pursuing this. That if I did the, do that four or five nights a week, I mm -hmm. quickly go broke, you know. But and I did, I did go broke. But people still talk about the club to this day because of its open nature and that it inspired them. Mostly musicians talk about it, of course, but that it inspired them and it was a pivotal part of them finding their voice and their 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 creative energy it, it was a reality that they could work on music in the garage and then they have a fucking place to go play it mm -hmm. and they didn't have to like prove themselves you know they didn't have to prove themselves to somebody that that uh, they were worthy of mm -hmm. performing so i'm proud of that was it a smart business decision no a lot of times in music there are no smart business decisions because most of the smart business decisions in music are a bad creative decision. Hmm. And balancing those two is really, really difficult. And if people can meld art and commerce to have the two flow together, it's so tricky and you it, it, you got to, you know, you really got to be ingenious to do so or just lucky. You know, a lot of the guys, a lot of the guys that I know that have made that happen for themselves, A, they have an incredible work ethic. Nothing comes before the opportunity 
to do what they love for a living. So that means no day job, not college, not family. Sometimes, you know, it's like the bags are packed by the door. And if the opportunity comes, they go because hmm. they're following they're following their passion. And, and you keep doing that. You keep doing it. You keep doing it. You keep doing it. And then all of a sudden you go, whoa, I'm actually making a little money here. Wow, I can actually, you know, the the gas and the lodging is paid for. Blah, blah, blah. And the guys that really went on to make success, they unequivocally followed that with a dedication that was pretty remarkable. Whereas a lot of guys get discouraged because there's no signs of success. There's no signs of a return. You know, that's what separates the passionate musician from the career musician. If I didn't make another cent in the music business in any direction, whether it's from performing live or from the music that I publish or what, it, I'll always play. I'll always try. And I love to play with, with people and for people. I love the whole process of creating something and then sharing it with people. I'll do it. If I'm a busker, that's what I'll be, you know? And in essence, that's what we were doing in the middle of the desert. We were like busking, except inviting people, you know, and the keg of beer helped too. But for, for them, you know. <laughs> how did uh, how did you find that balance between the, the music and the commerce, as you say? Because, I mean, I mean, you talk about moving to Los Angeles and not being willing to yeah. play the, you know, play the game where you're, you know, you, ha you have your assigned role and everyone has to play the game and conform to the norms of of the music industry there what do you what do you think it was that that made it work for you well i think what i touched on earlier was that i continued and really unconsciously continued to do things that inspired me and by doing that at a certain point it inspired other people so my story is not unique but basically what happened with me, why I have opportunities now is because all the work I did over the first 20 years of playing music inspired other guys from around here. And those guys picked up this same kind of ethic. At first, in their careers, they pursued the same kind of mindset. They were fearlessly independent in their art and in how they handled their career, we'll call it, at the time. And fiercely independent. We're going to do this our way. We, this is who we are, like it or not. Those guys started to find success beyond what me and my fellow guys had found. You know, I don't, I don't know the reasons, but that, that they worked harder. They had other opportunities come to them. Whereas we started to get children and businesses and jobs and things started to pile up in our lives outside of. Uh, you know, when you get into your mid-20s and you meet a girl and then you have a kid and then you have well, And things, a lot of things besides your music and your art start to take a big part of your day and you got to start to balance those things. So, I, you know, I started, you know, I was running the business. I was running this and that and, uh, and raising children. Uh, but but I had in all this hard work, we had inspired not a different generation. These guys weren't a lot younger. They are probably about 10 years younger than us. But these guys just were bags packed, ready to go, kicking ass. And, uh, and this is Caius, uh, which eventually, um, you know, all the guys in that band went on to do things, especially Josh Homme started Queens of the Stone Age. And that band eventually would have a big part of why I am involved with royalty. Of course, I've published We've always published our music over the years, but it wasn't until there was this family connection of these musicians that we inspired going on to find international success on some level. And then mentioning when interviewed in things like this, well, what were you guys inspired by? What, blah, blah. And then they would say, well, you know, these guys, we used to do these generator parties, this band was fearlessly independent. Their music was unique. And it just showed us that we can just do whatever we want. We don't have to conform to this or that. And they they they, they shared with 
journalists and general public to share their story, and we were part of their story. So, so people started looking at that. Hmm. And it's like, you know, you, you, you read an interview of Keith Richards, and he says, yeah, man, you know, when I was growing up, I listened to Chuck Berry and Muddy Waters and Robert Johnson, whatever. And then, the, you know, the, re- the kid goes, oh, man, I got I to gotta go hear that record or find those guys or who are those guys that inspired this guy? It opened up a whole new mm-hmm. world. This is a huge pivotal moment and a point that people need to understand is that this is what you would call a break where as hard as we worked and as dedicated as we were to our art, we got exposed to way more opportunity when there was a connection to a successful touring boarding group of guys. You know, to this day, those guys still give us love and give us respect and thank us and they're grateful for what we did and we've gone on through opportunities that came up because of that break or that connection what happened was the band Caius a hard rock band from here in the desert really influential band a genre creating kind of band these guys, in their first and second record, they covered songs by us. Then, as people purchased their records and listened to these songs, who, who's this band, Yawning Man? Who's this mm-hmm. band? Who's this guy, Mario Lolly? Oh, God. And then there became this desire to see us and hear our music and, and, and this whole other weird thing. It was still organic the way that it came to be. It wasn't like we were paying a marketing agent or we were paying a manager to get us out there. And it just happened. It just happened through through influence and history and, and, and people mentioning what inspired them. As soon as there was one or two little opportunities where one guy in Europe said, hey, you know, I heard that you guys were that band that Caius covered back then. Are you guys available to play this little psychedelic fest I have here in Amsterdam or what? And you know, 15, 20 years ago, we we started saying yes to that stuff. And uh, in the meantime, this thing, you know, coupled with the success of Queens of the Stone Age mm-hmm. and more and more of the alternative mainstream audience li- listening to this unique music, this unique rock music. And then Josh put together these recording projects called the Desert Sessions, where he invited all different musicians from different bands from different parts of the world to come to a studio here in the desert and make a record with no writing outside of the studio. So everybody came with ideas and improvised into a you know, nine, ten song album. And I was part of the first couple of those sessions. We wrote some of the music that would go on to be on Queen of the Stone Age records. And in turn, gave me a whole nother opportunity through publishing and through being a writer that wasn't directly related to performing with my bands or writing for my bands. These were completely separate projects from anybody's established bands. We wrote music for those recording sessions, and they went on to to do quite well. Uh, from that session, actually, was the opening track on a Queens of the Stone Age record mm-hmm. called Songs for the Deaf. That song ended up being used in three or four video games, two or three movies, uh, advertisements. And there again, you know, my... my I, I didn't try to do that. I didn't have a broker like out there fishing. The it just happened because of the work and the, the ethic that went into creating the art. People responded to that. They responded to the whole story. It wasn't just the song. If you research this music scene, this desert rock music scene, what people talk about 
and there's there's a lot of BS too, you know, like with anything that gets wrapped up in this and that being talked about it or or cliches. But what the, the thing that you'll notice if people people really are passionate about it is that there there is this ethic of individuality and creativity first. It's first. And yeah, you know, with all the success of these bands and other the, the other bands having internal problems and stuff, there's been some things that went against that. There's lawsuits and there's gripes between the old band members about, you know, when, when bands are making hundreds of thousands of dollars and lawyers are involved and things like that. It's unfortunate, but it's, you know, it's reality. But it was hard uh, because... What this music scene is known for and what's dear, it's just like in the early days of punk rock, what people identified with, they felt like they had a, like they belonged to something. They felt like they identified with its expression, um, that, that it, it included them. It included them. They weren't just a fan with the albums out and their headphones on and but they were like part of this thing. Mm-hmm. The music scene here had that and still has it. And that's what people were really identified with. And the music always reflected it. The music always had something different about it. Even though it was hard rock, it was metal, it was, they call it stoner rock, whatever they call it. There was always something a little bit different. The influences were there, you could hear it. Something a little bit different, like a an experiment around the edges, you know, it was always this kind of like, well, we can do whatever we want. We can, we can express ourselves here. As a growing artist or songwriter, keeping royalties coming in is important for keeping the bills paid. It's also important to keep an eye on those royalty payments. A lot of people we worked with here at Royalty Exchange were having a tough time making sense of the royalties that were getting paid. So we built a free tool called Know Your Worth that automatically analyzes every royalty payment made on your music. It breaks it all down in an easy to understand analysis with some insights that would be impossible to find elsewhere. Plus, it connects you with the thousands of investors on Royalty Exchange and allows them to make you offers on your music. So far, musicians have raised over a million dollars for new projects, new ventures, and a whole lot of other things just through the Know Your Worth app. If you're earning royalties, you should be keeping track of them, and Know Your Worth makes it easy. It only takes about three minutes to connect an account, and the tool will automatically update over time. Just visit worth.royaltyexchange.com or find the link in the show notes to get started. Now, let's get back to the interview. your band didn't didn't like achieve the same kind of global touring success as queens of the stone age or um, the bands that 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 kind of genre spawned it's like you must feel some pride in kind of spawning this this genre of of music i mean it was it was new right and and you were you were on the cutting edge of it absolutely and and you know to be clear the you know i i i am a touring musician and and all of this that i've been talking about is why I have these opportunities today. I go to Europe every year for the last 15 years for two, two and a half month tour. Uh, this December, we'll be going to Mexico and South America. In January, we're going to Australia. We're playing instrumental music. We're playing music that is a great deal, has a great deal of improvising in it. We're doing exactly what we want to do, mm-hmm. and we're being asked to go and do it in other countries. Now, we're not making a ton of money doing this. As a matter of fact, our, our trip to, and this is important that people understand this, our trip to South America, for instance, we're barely making enough to pay for the airfare, and uh, I'm hoping 
with some merchandise sales of we we just released an LP in July and I have several other records that we've pressed on vinyl over the years. I'll be selling those and I'll be selling some t-shirts of course. And that's it. That's the money that we're going to make. Now, you know, I'm in my mid 50s. The guitar player is in his late 40s. The drummer's in his late 40s. Families to support, uh, bills to pay. Now, what job lets you go away for three weeks and do what you love, come back with enough money to uh, maybe maybe pay a bill or two? Now, that gets pretty precarious. You know, it gets it, it gets very difficult. It takes courage, or I don't know if it, if it's always courage or a lack of brains, but. Mm. Here I am in my mid-50s still faced with that decision of, am I going to say fuck it and do this and, and make have these experiences while, while they're here? Or am I going to say, you know, I need some financial security. I need to get a job here, stay home. You know, you know the latter, I'm not going to be a happy person if I were to turn down those experiences. But those experiences, those opportunities are there because of this way of life that we created. Now the, the opportunities aren't, in, you know, incredible. We're not, we're not making enough money to uh, to give up the side jobs, the day jobs. In my mid fifties, still trying to figure that out. I'm trying to figure out all the different things. Now I've pieced together with uh, the touring that we do do that's successful. We tour the states, we tour Europe now, now Australia and in South America done once before and now we're doing it again after you know take all that the key is finding something at home or making your creation your creative energy work for you in between these opportunities where you're actually feet on the ground working playing having income that way it's how to creatively manage the rest of your life so with me, I have two bands, both touring bands, both at this point now internationally known. We have we don't have a ton of fans, but we have a, a core cult following that that there's tons of room to grow. I can make it my job instead of you know going to work at a restaurant or going to work in construction or whatever the various things that we all do at this point. Um, to connect between those periods of time where we have income from music. I can work on creative stuff that isn't necessarily standing up in front of people paying, playing, and then getting paid at a gig and moving on to the next night doing the same thing. I, it's a way to work from home and still be creative through the music stream of creative energy, but also mm -hmm. um, monetize it somehow, come up with ideas that that are involved with with the bands with the music with the music scene and figure out how to generate you know some income that way and now and now here here here's you know where i was talking about in the early days where i never we would just create 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 without thinking about any return now here i am i have to i have to because if I don't, then I'm going to go give all my energy walking around the floor of some restaurant or on a job site painting or hanging doors or doing <laughs> doing framing or driving Uber or whatever it is that fills those gaps between where the band is working. And, we're, you know, we're grateful that we... You know, when we are engaged in what we do, it's work and we get paid for it. But it's not enough to make our life complete. It's not enough income to complete what life calls for. You know, we, we have to fill it in between. And so what I'm doing right now, I was the floor manager at a place called Pappy and Harriet's, which is 
a wonderful, wonderful venue. I was very proud to work there. But this is a big point. You know, I had a really good job with them. I was a floor manager. It's an incredible place. And um, I gave it up because I had just asked them within a year and a half of working there, I had asked them for four months off to tour. The first time was I'd only been working there for six months. I had to ask for two months off to go on tour to Europe. Then recently, the same thing, two months off to tour the States. Then uh, I sat down with them. I said, you know what? Coming up in, in December, I have to go to South America. And in January, I'm going to be. So December and January, peak season at the restaurant and at the club, I'm asking for time off and I'm supposed to be the floor manager. So here we are again, art and commerce. How are you going to make it work? You know, now I quit. It scared the shit out of me to do it, but I let it go because I know that if I'm giving that energy, I'm not giving energy to this. So immediately after Mm -hmm. I quit that, I went directly into creative mode. I have experience over the years promoting and curating events. So uh, I went right to work on that. And yeah, there's only two events a month, maybe, you know, to do this right. But um, in the transition from a day job into doing this kind of work is spooky and can be a long time because it takes time to kind of get the other life going. But right away, opportunities popped up because I freed myself, I freed my energy and my focus from the day job to creative pursuits. And, uh, you know, I've been affiliated with Hmm. four documentaries about this music scene here, the history of it, um, its connection to alternative music festivals and art festivals. And this music scene had a lot of inspiration, not just musically, but also on the festival scene in California, Burning Man and Coachella and things like that. So the, our music scene kind of was on the burdening part of all that, the, uh-huh. the beginnings of all that. You know, I have the ability to show these documentaries and all the documentaries involve live music. So I created a film series uh, with a live music component where they're going to have a movie and then followed by a live performance from a band that's involved in the movie. And I, I, I stepped off and just like, you know, I'm going to pitch this to the Palm Springs film festival. And they, they went for it and they, and, and they gave me a beautiful venue at the Palm Springs museum with a theater there. That's just incredible. So, you know, had I not, had I had I just been caved on feeling safe and having my day job, um, this would never have happened. I had to give this part of my life energy and have faith in and in, in following my passion and what I love to do. Now I might not make a cent doing this, but I know that it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that because I, I'm working. I'm doing and creating, and that's bigger than oh, you know, I, I made a, I made a few hundred bucks or a thousand bucks. I put it, put some money in the bank. It covers what I would have been missing if I, you know, was at work up at the restaurant. I don't think like that. I, I just go and do it by giving energy, and that has always given back to me. Hmm. With unequivocally, it's always given back to me. I've never been discouraged by it. Now, maybe that's because I'm, you know, not the smartest and, but it's just, it, 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 it's another point of where you fought. If you follow your heart and you work hard at it, shit will happen. Shit just happens. Not, it's not big stuff. It's not like life changing stuff all the time. It can be just little tiny things, but it happens, you know? I think a lot of what you're saying is, uh, coming from the nineties and, and going to LA with no, no rules and deciding to do your own way. And then also trying to make ends meet, um, while staying creative is something that, uh, probably rings even more true to people that are just starting in the music industry these days, because I mean, it's, you know, the, 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 the script has flipped where, um, 
you can go out and, and make music and get the thousand true fans that you need or the 10,000 fans and you can make it work. Would you have any like pieces of advice um, to anyone that's, that's kind of just starting now, you know, doing any kind of music it's th- that you, I mean, from your experience? Yes. I, and I'm not going to say it like, don't ever give up. Just keep going. You know, yeah. I, the, but, but honestly, <laughs> it's like, if you need it, and I, and, and I don't mean the return, I don't mean the applause. I don't mean the tip bucket being full or a paid gig or some place of stature or respect in this and that. If you need to do it, any advice I give you is something you already know because you're going to do it. It's what makes you happy. It's what drives you. If you're not one of those people and you're, 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 you're trying to create a career for yourself based on uh, inspiration of fame or notoriety or um, sex appeal or whatever the, whatever the other weird things that people gravitate towards entertainment and all these word arts lightly. But this thing, it's arts and entertainment. And I've always put the art first. I try as hard as I can because that's where my heart is, you know? So if, if you're that person, then you already know. I don't have to give you any advice because you're going to do it. You're just going to do it and do it. And if things happen, they'll happen. But the one thing I learned is always stay involved, stay engaged, stay present. Discouragement is in part of my vocabulary. I drove two hours the other day to play for 10 minutes for four people. And I just got home from a European tour two and a half weeks playing festivals. And I went to Los Angeles to play for four people. I had to go do that. Wasn't, it wasn't because I'm commitment or this or that. I had to go do it because I'm working on some music that I, I, I want to play and I want to share it with people. Will the crowd grow? Will they? Blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. It's like, I'm going to build it. If they come, they come. If they don't, but the point is to continue to build, continue to inspire yourself. Hmm. And it just makes you a better person. It makes you a happier person. It has nothing to do with, with opportunities in the music industry. It has nothing to do with a career. It has nothing to do with money. All that stuff are the, the rewards of hard-ass work. And it isn't always inspired work. It isn't always fun. It isn't always. But if you need to do it, if that's part of you, then I'm talking to the right person because you already know there's no advice anybody can give you because you're going to just fucking do it against all advice or all the other the other person that's out there that has their career path vision and do this and they're doing that. If there's some part of you that it, that is passionate beyond those expectations, and you're up all night writing music, and you're up, find that energy, that energy that really motivates you besides the stuff that's outside of you, besides the rewards or the steps up the ladder or the the the, the likes on Facebook or the whatever the hell it is that motivates people. That part that's just you and your instrument or you and that hat and paper or you and that microphone or you and a pen and you and the paintbrush or you and the whatever it is, that part, that little like energy that happens, that's the thing. That's the important part. Hmm. And that, that, that's it. That's the only advice I have. Yeah. And it seems like that passion and persistence kind of leads to, to meeting the people and to growing and, you know, ending up. Like, like with you writing in the, the desert sessions that, that, uh, you know, leads down this path that, uh, is really exactly. meaningful. Exactly. It, it was all peripheral, uh, stuff that just organically happened because I was putting myself out there and doing, just doing things, doing things with no expectation of like, Oh, this is going to do, you know, I'm going to get something out of this. You know, what I got out of it was the experience of doing it. Mm-hmm. And then later, I got, wow, oh, I got a guy from India come up to me in England and tell me he didn't ever think he would ever leave India, first of all. 
and he never thought he would ever hear our music live. But he heard our music in India. And I thought about that all night. I was like, you know, how the fuck did that happen? How did that happen? You know, how did this guy in India, this kid, he's like my son's age. I was like, that, that's just magic, man. That's magical. Mm. And, the first, and, and he said, you guys inspire me. The way you do, the way you think inspired me. And, that, and that's just like, okay, we just did what we do. We didn't, there was no plan. We just followed our hearts, you know? And uh, if you do that, you're fucking succeed. You're success, boom, it's done. It's done. There, it doesn't matter. Nothing else. It's like you've already succeeded, you know, and the rest, yeah. the rest comes. Last night I was watching The Voice with my girlfriend. And, you know, I, I'm not going to give my opinion on those shows and that whole thing. But it's interesting to see these artists, these singers, musicians, their little backstories that they give before. You know, some of them are already professional musicians. Some of them are like touring with fucking bands and backup singers and, you know, writing and recording jingles. And like, they're already, they're already in there and they're doing this whole thing. And, they, and they're, you know, going to take this step out to be, become an instant star, you know. Mm-hmm. They're all incredibly talented people. Once or twice, I see some real freak, you know, that's like, there was one kid a while back, he was a, he was a, he bu- he was a busker from Pomona. And he played on the street in front of the college. He played on the street in coffee houses. He played, played, played. And I said, you know, this kid probably won't win this thing, even though he's so amazing and his talent is amazing. His voice, his songs, incredible. Absolutely incredible. Very plain looking Chicano kid with his, you know, sweaty on, his hoodie on, his hood over his thing. He'd look like some kid that would be walking home from school in Pomona. And he didn't win, but he was undeniably insane, incredible. And I, and I thought to myself, it doesn't matter. He, he doesn't even care, probably. I'm sure he cares, and he would love to win. And, and, and whatever his motivation was, I think he was encouraged by people to do it because he's so amazing. But I guarantee you he's happy, and, and he's, he's going to keep playing on the corner in front of the Pomona College or wherever the fuck. He's going to keep going and going and doing it. And I'll bet you that opportunity of getting up in front of those people, stepping up and doing that crazy ass thing and being on that show, which is insane. It's like, that's just nuts to me. But um, by doing it, you know, who knows what opportunities maybe popped up. Now, that's a really extreme example. But my point was, is that there's a kid in all that mess of music career quote unquote world, this kid's gonna keep playing passionately for the rest of his life because you can tell he has to do that to be happy. You know, and that's mm-hmm. and that's it. Whatever success he has is gonna be a is gonna be as a result of that passion and not chasing opportunity, but chasing his art and what he does with his art. So it, it, that that's it. That's all. I you know I've said that in five different ways now, but it's the same same idea. Yeah. No, I think it's good advice. I think anyone anyone uh, that follows it and and is like you say is that person that uh, that's going to do it for the right reason and not not for fame or for sex appeal or whatever um, is going to find find the success that they uh, they may or may not be seeking. So yeah, I think it's solid advice. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I, you know, I would say that the one thing about handling your business, but I'm going to talk about the business side of this for a second, because it, it is a reality and it would be silly not to honor it. One big step of making the art and commerce flow is being responsible with what you've worked so hard on. You know, one of the lessons I learned over the years was by not publishing my music, I have, you know, I don't know, 60 70 i don't know how many it's way beyond that i, I don't know over over 100 songs published on my publishing company and that, that i wrote but then there's other stuff that i collaborated with my partner gary arcy and and uh josh homie and other guys 
but just follow, you know, following through with, with ha- handling your business, honoring all that hard work with, mm-hmm. with doing what is available to you, what resources are available to you to copyright your ideas, to publish your music, to publish your, your writing by doing all that stuff that where you're not sitting behind the piano or you're not sitting with your bar in your hands and you're not in front of the microphone or you're not with the pen and paper. That's work too. And you can put that same passion that you do into your direct creative expression. You can put that same ethic into the way that you handle your your business. And that's been a I still haven't learned that lesson. And I'm trying every day, you know, I'm trying like by doing this blog or by doing this podcast, you know, it's like mm-hmm. it's uh, giving time and energy to the big picture, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. and then, and also, um, you know, especially when it comes to publishing, you know, make sure that you take the time to learn about it, and and you just never know, you you never ever know where that opportunity is going to come from. So, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be asked to be part of the Desert Sessions. We wrote a, a song almost eight years later. These opportunities came to license the song for games, movies. You know, back in my punk rock, oh, you know, commercial commercializing my art. I, I have a much more healthy attitude about that now. Mm-hmm. Back then, I would have been like, oh, they sold that song to... I remember one time when I think it was a Ramones song, the first time I heard it on some ad for something, Target, or something. I was like heartbroken. I was like, how could they do that? But, mm-hmm. but the, bottom, the bottom line was these. this is an aspect of how you get to do what you love for a living. You can give your energy to the restaurant floor. You can give your energy to digging ditches. I call digging ditches is like my covers all menial labor jobs. That every yeah. musician, you know, I mean, some guys got groovy jobs. You know, oh, I'm a graphic artist. So I'm those, you know, unfortunately, I, you know, I've been on the other aspect of that all my life, on the other end of it, where, you know, I was digging ditches pretty much. But if you can do music, and make a living at it, then, you know, it takes some responsible work as well, you know. So it's, yeah. Anyway, that's it. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of The Big Break. You can follow Mario on Instagram and Twitter by using the links in the show notes. We'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode. You can get that right in your podcast feed by subscribing to this podcast. Until then, take care 